Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know, a show empowering you with truthful information so you can make the most informed decisions regarding your health and well-being. Thank you for joining me for another fantastic conversation that I have in store for you today. And if you happen to be listening for the very first time, I want to welcome you. And please go over to my Facebook page, like me there, What Women Must Know, or opt into my uh, website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman, or drcherylselman.com, and uh, I'll be able to send all of the archive shows right to your inbox and uh, lots of other beneficial and educational material that I send out as well. So I hope to see you either uh, over on my Facebook page or on my website. Um, Okay, well, I'm going to... um, introduce our guest today in this conversation. We're going to be talking about, uh, well, we have lots to talk about, but we're going to start off with Cancer and the New Biology of Water, which is the title of a new book that's come out, written by my guest, uh, Dr. Tom Cowan, and um, just a little bit about Dr. Cowan. He has studied and written about many subjects in medicine, including the heart, autoimmune disease, nutrition, anthroposophical medicine, and herbal medicine. He is the author of Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, and Vaccines, Autoimmunity, and the Changing Nature of Childhood Illnesses, both published by Chelsea Green. The principal author of The Fourfold Path to Healing and co-author with Sally Fallon of The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. Dr. Cowan has served as Vice President of the Physicians Association for Anthroposophical Medicine and is founding board member of the Western A. Price Foundation. He also writes the Ask the Doctor column in Wise Traditions in Food, Farming, and the Healing Arts, a Western A. Price Foundation's quarterly magazine, and has lectured throughout the United States and Canada. And in 2016, he and his family launched Dr. Cowan's Garden, a company that makes and sells organic vegetable powders to help diversify their vegetable consumption. So we're in for a really fantastic interview, and I am just so happy and thrilled to welcome Dr. Thomas Cowan to the show today. Hello and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on. You know, I was just having a brief conversation with you before we went on air, and I was telling you how uh, how excited I am to have you on the show because I have been reading your book. Actually, I read it from all the way through, and uh, it just really sparked this this excitement in me. Sometimes that happens, you know. You just read things or connect with things that just resonate on some level that gets you excited, and that's what your book did for me. It just brought so many insights together and, um, I, I, you know, a, a new paradigm of looking at um, at the world, and particularly looking at cancer. So, um, you know, I, I'd like us to start by just sharing a little bit about your journey and how you arrived as a traditionally trained medical doctor and into the anthroposophical medicine, which I'm sure most people don't really know what that is, so maybe you can share that a little bit, and and uh, you know how you arrived at some of your unconventional paradigms of things. Uh, 
So I was, you know, uh, born and raised in suburban Detroit in a family uh, that I, I can only say that I, I was expected to be a doctor. And I, I don't, nobody ever said that, like I wanted to be a basketball player or something. But um, I just sort of knew that. Um, but at the other side of it, uh, for me, because I had a lot of my parents' friends were doctors and I, like did rounds with doctors when I was 16, and, and for some reason, I I wanted no part of it. I just didn't like how they thought. I didn't like what they did. I just didn't think they knew anything really, even though I didn't obviously know anything about what they didn't know. Uh, I just didn't want to do it. So I go to college. Didn't like that. Although I, you know, I did well in school. I'm good at that. So, but I didn't like it. So. I joined the Peace Corps to teach gardening as an attempt to figure out what else to do with my life. So there I am, 21, in a hut in Swaziland, South Africa, trying to, you know, like figure something out. And I think I can say I'm probably the only person that I've ever known who has this following distinction, which is while I was living in rural Swaziland, that's where I met the work of Weston Price and Rudolf Steiner. And like I said, I don't know anybody else who can say that. Uh, but there I was, I was, and I had nothing else to do. I didn't know anything about gardening and, or food. And I was basically introduced to them by two very specific people. And because I didn't have anything else to read, so I read, you know, Rudolf Steiner and Weston Price. And it was sort of like a light went off that this sort of destiny thing that I sort of knew about but wanted no part of, I realized that the type of doctor I didn't want to be was not the only type of doctor there is. And once I saw that and I saw that, you know, there were people who were perfectly healthy, in fact, far healthier than any of us, uh, who ate a certain way, and there's a whole different narrative about how the world is and how we got here and what a, what a living being or a human being is made out of or consists of. It was it was like a dam broke, and you know that was 42 years ago almost, and I don't think a day has gone by since then that I haven't tried to learn something or do something about food or or you know m medicine or something it was like a it's just like a dam broke and so then i realized that i could go to medical school and sort of not say anything and i could learn what i needed to learn and then i said i decided that because of what i knew i could eventually then you know cure any disease i didn't realize how difficult that was at the time you know i didn't know anything but um and so i just set out to do that and have been trying to figure it out ever since isn't it amazing how one's destiny unfolds in the most unlikely places <laughs> that you could yeah, never totally. have anticipated you know it's such a fascinating journey the journey of our unfoldment of really finding our soul's purpose in life by the way i was in the peace corps myself but uh i was in malaysia so i i, I had a uh, you know nicer city life <laughs> than living in, yeah, right. in rural swaziland um so 
So um, anthroposophical medicine. So for those that really don't know much about it, and to be totally honest, I know of Rudolf Steiner. I've heard of Rudolf Steiner, but I've never delved into who he was and his immense contribution to understanding really not just not just healing and and the body and medicine but of life i mean so rudolf steiner was a he his profession was he was a gertianistic scholar or scholar of the work of you know uh, this guy named goethe who was wrote faust and uh, metamorphosis of plants and a few other things is still considered the most important philosopher of middle Europe probably ever so that was his profession but he, he was also a kind of a mystic initiate if you want to use those words and so he could under I'm talking about Steiner now he could see see things and understand things that most of us just don't have access to and out of that he you know, founded the Waldorf School movement. He wrote the curriculum, so that's the second largest private school movement in the world. He started biodynamic agriculture, which is probably was the precursor of the organic agriculture movement and probably the biggest type of organic agriculture in Europe. He also started anthroposophical medicine, which there's public hospitals and in Europe that are now pretty much devoted to anthroposophical medicine and curative eurythmia, movement form, and those were basically his hobbies. Um, and it came out of a certain way of looking at the world. And so be, when I read Steiner and heard of Steiner and started looking into it, he, he talks about a whole different paradigm or a whole different way of looking at, at the world that I, you know, basically pursued for about 15 years. I must say, though, there were things about the anthroposophical medical movement and things about anthroposophical medicine itself that I ended up breaking with, not so much Steiner, but the, in fact, not Rudolf Steiner, but the way that he's interpreted. So, for instance, I would not call myself an anthroposophical doctor now. I for whatever reason, needed to figure this out on my own terms on by myself. And so obviously I throw a lot of ideas from Rudolf Steiner in. I'm very influenced by Rudolf Steiner, uh, the way he thinks and the way he sees the world. But uh, there's parts of the, in particular, the medical movement that I am not aligned with anymore. I mean, I was, but not anymore. And, I mean, that's fine. You know, we have different paths, difference of opinion. So I, I say that because I'm not here to describe or defend anthroposophical medicine. I, I have my own take on things, rightly or wrongly. That's just me. And so I, and the, the other thing is I don't want anybody to say, well, he's speaking for anthroposophical medicine or for anything. I'm speaking for me. And, and isn't that, I mean, that's so much the truth. You, 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 you know, we travel through different, you know, um, lessons, learnings, paradigms, but ultimately we integrate in ourselves the path that we need to find and we take what's true for us. And that's how we bring our gifts into the world, not necessarily as a, you know, a tried and true follower, right? You just, you're, you found your path and you're evolving 
your path with your wisdom and bringing that into the world. So I, I really understand that. I'm, I'm kind of myself not like to be aligned with any particular movement or so. Okay. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. So let's let's jump in to this new book that you wrote. My first question is, why did you write this book? What what compelled you to write this? So, it, you know, even though I didn't start out to do this, I, it turns out it was the third of a series. And, I, you know, I wrote the first one thinking that was going to be it, and that was on um, the basically the heart. And there was two points of that book. One is that the heart does not pump the blood. That, In other words, the reason for the blood moving around the body is not because it's pushed by the heart. And we're not going to talk about that, but I just want to point out that there's two people who are saying that right now in the U.S. There's me and an anesthesiologist named Bronco First, and he wrote a book about this. And the forward to is a book which absolutely proves that there's no way the heart is pumping the blood. And it was the forward was written by the head of cardiac anesthesiology at Harvard Medical School who said the heart can't possibly be a pump and that's why we can't treat heart failure better than 50 years ago. So as I like to say, I may be wrong, but I'm apparently not the only one. Um, <laughs> so, and that got me into, into water, because water is the reason the blood moves in the body, period. Uh, so then, then I wrote about vaccines and autoimmune disease, how those two things are linked, and that got me into the the nature of the cell and particularly the water part of the cell and then it became obvious to me that I had to finish this series by actually devoting a whole book on the nature of water in the cell and so that and you, you can do that by under by investigating essentially what causes cancer and how and why we got it so wrong. Okay. Well, those are big topics, so why don't we just dive right in so we can understand. So from this paradigm that you have understood and have written about, what is going on with cancer? Can we start there? So the best way to explain it, and in, in sort of the, the tact I took in the book, was was just to take a little bit of a historical perspective. So in 1971, those of us who are old enough to remember, uh, remember Nixon announced the war on cancer. He said, we're going to spend whatever it takes, 10 years, we're going to wipe out cancer, nobody's going to die of cancer. Um, so if you actually see what actually happened, in, in 1971, it was about one out of five people got cancer. In 2018, it's about one out of two. And there's millions of people who die every year from cancer. In spite of the fact, and, and I actually tried to figure out how much we spent since 1971 on cancer, and that means, you know, they just built a $2 billion cancer center and the Bay Area and the salaries and the research and the drugs and and I came out with the the number ten trillion dollar ten trillion dollars and my editor talked me down into the hundreds of billions of dollars <laughs> so I have no idea what it is because you can't get that number but it's it's probably the second biggest project 
in human history next to making war, right? We spend a lot of money on that. But uh, second biggest is, is curing cancer. And then in 1991, Guy does a study on the effect of this cancer business on, on the survival rate, and he says because of chemotherapy, which is the main thing that we uh, do for cancer besides surgery and radiation, there's been an improvement of 2.9% in the outcome of cancer treatment. Uh, and he was criticized and attacked like usual. And then in 2004, the Australian government repeats this now with all kinds of cancer. What is the survival effect of chemotherapy, all stages, all kinds of solid tumors? They come out with the number 2.3%, which is basically mm -hmm. nothing, and especially mm -hmm. because you have a worse quality of life. So essentially the whole thing was a failure. Now, the question, why was it a failure? And why did they announce this in 71? And the reason is because they discovered the, cure, the cause of cancer. People don't really know that. And if you go to your oncologist and say, what caused cancer? They, I don't know. You know it's, but they actually figured it out. They said the cause of cancer is oncogenes, which are genes that cause cancer. It's also called the somatic mutation theory, meaning we have, you know, 46 chromosomes, 22 pairs of so-called somatic chromosomes, which is not the X and the Y. Uh, and one of them gets a mutation, and that mutation leads to excessive growth. So all we have to do is find out which mutation you have, and then we can either fix the mutation or we can give you the end product that should, it should have made instead of the defective one. And all we have to do is figure that out and we're good. So then they do. And that's what all the research, all the biotech, everything is about that. And they end up finding instead of one mutation causes prostate cancer, or alternatively the theory was your, pro your prostate cancer is caused by your one mutation. They, do, they investigate prostate cancer. They find some of the cells have 10 mutations, some have 3, some have 6,000, some have 841. And then if you look at a tumor, each cell has a different number of mutations. The whole thing is an incredibly complex crapshoot. And so nobody can do anything about these mutations because it's so complicated and so none of the therapies 40 years later have really anything to do with mutations, even though that's supposedly the cause. So, but here's, here's the thing, and if I can just go on for one more uh, little bit here. Um, so the idea then is, is that the problem is in the genes, mutations. So then along comes some people, and they do the following experiment. They take two cells. turns out you can transplant the nucleus from one cell into another. So a cell is, it has a, a membrane around it, and then it has two parts. It has the cytoplasm, which is the watery part, and then it has the nucleus, which have the chromosomes, which have the genes. So they take the healthy cells take the nucleus out of one, put it into the other one, and the progeny are healthy. Then they take a cancer cell and a normal cell, and they take the 
the cancer, the, the nucleus out of the cancer cell, so that's where the mutated genes are, and they put it into a healthy cytoplasm, and the progeny are normal. And then they take a normal cell and a cancer cell, they take the nucleus where the mutated genes are out of a normal cell and put it into a cancer cytoplasm, and the progeny are cancer. And what that tells you is the site where cancer resides, where cancer is caused, is in the cytoplasm, not the nucleus. Can't have anything to do with the genes. This whole genetic theory of cancer is, you know, excuse my French, but bullshit. And it's mm. easily proven. And it's mm. not that there aren't mutations. There are. You can see them. People have made their whole career studying. But they're a consequence of something that happens in the cytoplasm. And, in fact, when you read these studies, it's so interesting because the people are so blinded by this, this dominant paradigm that they say, well, there must be something in the cytoplasm that can heal mutations, which is, I mean, that's nuts. There's something mm -hmm. wrong in the cytoplasm. And mm -hmm. that when something goes wrong in the cytoplasm, then the cell becomes, you know, cancerous or some other way sick. And essentially then my book was understanding what is the cytoplasm, what makes it go wrong, and how does that lead to cancer. And I just want to finish one other thing, you know, because I like to speak it in, in analogies here. And I finished one chapter with, it's a bit like, you know, guys looking, you walk up to somebody and he's under a street light and you say, what are you, what are you doing there? He says, I'm looking for my keys. So you help him look for a few minutes, and then you say, hey, by the way, where did you lose your keys? He says, over there in the bushes. And you say, well, why are you looking under the street light? And he says, because the light's better. And it's true. It's easy to look in the, for the genes. We have a whole industry of that. And the light is better there. But that's not where the keys are. So, so what um, you know? What you are saying is that we have invested. Um, I, I'd go with your figure, ten trillion dollars into an industry that has nothing to do with really accomplishing the outcome. We're, we're looking and under the light, and and we continue to look under the light because it's very profitable to look under the light, and people are not interested in really finding the truth. They're just interested in maintaining their positions, their, their funding, etc. So the cytoplasm is the key where the action's happening. And it's not just, this is kind of segueing into you, Dr. Cohen, it's not just the watery part of a cell that we're talking about as a cytoplasm. That there is something very special about the cytoplasm that most people have never heard of before. So do you want to kind of elaborate from there? So so the cytoplasm is the most, you know, by volume. So it's, you imagine if you do that with your hands, make like a, uh, a, an, uh, like a circle or an ellipse, I guess you call it. So there's a dot that's the nucleus, and the rest of it is the cytoplasm. And if you say, so what is the cytoplasm? The cytoplasm is 
water with stuff floating in it, like ribosomes and mitochondria and all these other parts of the cell. Now, when you're in medical school, you learn that the, the cell is 70% water. And, you know, that's sort of axiomatic. And the other thing you learn, and this is probably in third grade or something, that the, that matter can exist in three phases, solid, liquid, or gas. So if you have copper, you have solid copper, molten copper, or gaseous copper. And there's no intermediate steps or stages. So, so, so okay, so the cell, the cytoplasm is, is 70% water. And then I used to be an ER doctor when I started, in, you know, after medical school and residency. And I used to see all these people shot and bayoneted and, you know, stabbed, et cetera. And you would think that they, they would have the water squirt out of them because their cells were all disrupted or shot. And you know how many times I saw a person with water spurting out of their leg? None. Or a puddle of water on the floor next to them. You see blood, but that's different. There's 70% of the cells are water. And I started to think to myself, so where's the water? There is no water. And then I eventually didn't know what to do with that. But years later, I discovered that it's actually not true that there's three stages of matter. Well, there is with everything except water. Water exists in a fourth stage, which is called a gel phase, or some people call it structured water or crystalline water. And Jerry Pollack wrote a whole book on this and proving it and showing how it formed and how it works. And the, it's just like jello, and it forms in a similar way in our cells. And that's why if you poke a hole in jello, nothing squirts out, or you can shoot it and it'll break, but it won't squirt out. So all this, all of the water in our cytoplasm, essentially our cytoplasm is a structured gel. Now, the importance of that is, and, and here I must admit I'm getting into my, you know, steiner Gertianistic uh, science approach to life, which is, you know, we, we understand things not like usual, quote, science, although one of my favorite sayings is the trouble with science is it's not very scientific. Uh, so you have to be careful of that. But usually science starts with theory, and then they go to observation to support the theory. But that's backwards. You should start with, with observation and then, and then try to understand how that phenomena that you experience came about. So if you say, so what is true about all solid tumors, you know, breast, pancreas, prostate, lung, etc.? cetera? The, the first answer is it feels different than the surrounding tissue. So if you take a breast, you know, so it's, you know, you're interested in women's health, you have a breast and it feels like a breast, and then you come to this thing that feels like a rock, and that's different. And so then you feel normal breast again. The tumor is the rock part. And so the question is, why does it feel like that? Like that's unmistakable, like we're on solid ground. It feels different. The reason it feels different is because it has a different density of cells. Just, just to make up a number, normal breast cells have, you know, one per square inch or a million per square inch. 
and this one has 10 million per square inch. So then you say you have to then get to the question, how do cells get a, a normal spatial orientation, or how do they get to have the proper density? Because obviously something has happened to screw up the density, and it, it typically always in the same way, it's too dense. There's too many cells packed into too little space. So that gets you into the question, how does a cell create a spatial orientation? So that's been a, that's a very interesting question because it's been a, literally at the center of scientific debate for 3,000 years because we know that the, 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 the density of the cells or the spatial orientation of the cells in a tissue comes because every cell has a charge around it, has a halo of, of negative charges around it, and when two like you know, negatively charged cells come together like two magnets, they keep their distance. So that's how the answer to how do they keep it, it uh, their, how do they orient themselves is they have a charge. And breast tissue has one charge, the eye has a different charge, etc. So they create a different density. So then the, the next question, where does that halo of charges come from? And the answer that everybody would give is it comes because of the sodium-potassium distribution across the membrane. And that gets, again, into one of the central questions of biology. How does a cell live in a salty, sodium-rich environment, yet the inside of the cell is low in sodium and high in potassium? And this question was studied for centuries. It's one of the central you know, questions of biology because every cell does it. Every living, you know, cell does this. And then finally they came up with the answer that there's a pump in the membrane which pumps the sodium out and it pumps the potassium in. And that pumping action creates a charge around the cell and that creates the, the spatial orientation of the cells. You with me here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's, so that's how it happens. Except a guy named Gilbert Ling writes a book, and he actually studies how much energy it would take to do this pump, pumping action and the charge distribution. It turns out it's about 30 times the amount of, of energy that the cell has to do everything. So the analogy I gave, it's like you have a mortgage on your house for 30000 a month and you only make 2000 a month. Eventually that doesn't work. You run out of money. So the conclusion was there is, there is a sodium-potassium pump, but it's only a backup system not to be used. The sodium-potassium pump is the same sort of myth as the heart pumps the blood. So the question then is, well, if that's not, if you can't be the pump, how is this charge come about? How is this sodium-potassium distribution come about? And so the answer is, if you can picture this, so the, the, cell, the cytoplasm is a gel, and the gel is basically a mesh. And all meshes have a certain size. And again, by analogy, it's like you have a mosquito netting in your house. And you can't, you can't have 
uh, you have to have it, the holes big enough so the air comes in, otherwise it doesn't work, and not too big or the mosquitoes come in and then it doesn't work. So it turns out that the gel that's formed by water is exactly the right size by some literal miracle of nature, and this is why water is the basis of life, that it it attaches to potassium and the size excludes the sodium and essentially gets it to go to the outside. And I can't emphasize how crucial that is. So because of the mesh, just because of the inherent nature of water and how it forms a crystalline structure in our cytoplasm, that by itself, no energy needed, attaches to potassium, um, excludes the sodium, creates a charge around the cell, which is literally the voltage of life. I, again, I cannot emphasize the, the enormity of that discovery because any cell that's not charged is either a dead or a dysfunctional cell. This is the basis of how nerves work, which is why we have no idea how to treat nervous system diseases because we don't understand how the nerve impulse is generated because we don't know, we don't, we're not interested and we don't study water or life. This is the basis of life. Now, the other thing it teaches you is, it, well, it gets you to think about how does a gel form properly? Because if you have a, to use an unscientific term, a wonky-sized gel or a gel with arsenic dissolved in it so the mesh doesn't form right or a gel with aluminum in it, which is, you know, from vaccines, for instance. You inject aluminum, it goes in, it disturbs the formation of your gel. Uh, this then tells you things like uh, the analogy that I make here Think about it, it's, it's jello with grapes dissolved, you know, floating around in it, except the grapes are poison. So you don't want the grapes. So what do you, so if you're a, a person who wants a better jello without the grapes, you think, how am I going to get those grapes out of there? You can't just dig them out because that'll ruin the whole jello. So one way you can do it is you can dissolve the jello with heat. The, the grapes will flow out. It's called mucus, and then you can reconstitute the gel. That's why fevers work to heal us. And that explains then the whole history of hyperthermia treatment, fever therapy, Coley's toxins, Hippocrates saying, give me a medicine to produce a fever and I can cure any disease. It tells you why this war on fevers that we have now is basically insane. Uh, because fevers are the only way that we, you know, essentially dissolve, flow out the gel, and then reconstitute it. So it tells you that. But then you say, so how does it, how does this gel form? Well, it forms the same way as jello. You have proteins called gelatin. You put water in it, and then you have to heat up the mixture. So what does the heat do? The heat unfolds the proteins, the gelatin proteins, so they can attach to water. And so then when they cool, they form a gel. So that's what happens in our cytoplasm. We have proteins 
they're folded and they need to be unfolded but you can't use heat so it turns out Ling also proved that the role of heat is played by this chemical called ATP which everybody else thinks is the so-called energy molecule which is nonsense but what it the whole role of ATP and why it's crucial to to life and without ATP you can't live is because it unfolds the proteins so they can interact with water and form gels in the cytoplasm and if your cytoplasm is liquid water you're a dead person hmm. so that's the role of ATP which then tells you that you have to understand how ATP is formed which gets you into the role of mitochondria it gets you into the understanding that if you don't have enough energy you can't separate the cells properly in other words mitosis so the cells get in you know get abnormal chromosomes which we call aneuploidy and aneuploid cells are more susceptible to mutations which is why you see so many mutations all these things follow that you see when you understand that if it's all based on healthy gels in the cytoplasm. If that is disturbed, then the whole thing goes off, and the end result of that is cancer. That was a long-winded well, explanation. Sorry well, about that. but it's not. There's no easy way. I mean, there's no shortcut to explain this because it's it's like you are unraveling myth after myth after myth that unfortunately is still the prevailing paradigm which is why we're not getting results. So we need to really understand the truth of what's right. really happening and and have this you know paradigm shift and people like Dr. Ling and Dr. Joey Pollack I and mean, they've been at the forefront of really being paradigm shifters, right? They're 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 changing right. the way and um I mean and and that's what you're doing and that's what you're writing about. So so we need to have what this fourth stage of water that Dr. Jerry Pollack is known for, this fourth stage of water, which is this gel-like consistency, which is should be a natural component of our cells, right? It should it, that's we're designed to have all our cells be structured water or this gel-like water, correct? The cytoplasm, correct. Yes. And and, and I also talk about it's very interesting, you know, like this the the yin yang symbol because it's exactly the story here there's two sides there's cytoplasm and nucleus the cytoplasm has a little bit of the dna and the nucleus has a little bit of the water that's exactly the yin yang symbol when the two are in harmony and the water is all structured then um life is good and in fact i just got an article last week saying it's the water that surrounds the DNA that determines which part of the DNA is expressed. So it's actually the structured water that even determines how you express your DNA. So every everything down into the details is because because structured water is the medium of life. And that's the problem because we study living things according to the laws of dead mechanics. And that's essentially where the problem lies. 
Okay, so um, if and I, I want to be sure that we talk about what what you think people need to be aware of and incorporate in their lives if they if you have cancer can you say that you have lost the ability to structure water properly in your cells yes 100% okay so then and I, the and next I can tell you exactly how that comes about okay so here here's how i know that and again i'm i this is in gratitude for Jerry Pollock, who did these experiments, and anybody can watch them. So, so, and it, and it goes back, and this is why it goes back to my original book. I had to understand how the blood moves because it's not being pumped by the heart. That's a, as they say in Yiddish, it's a bubamisa, which means it's not true. Um, so, so here's how, so imagine this. You take a beaker of water, just a regular beaker, a glass beaker, fill it half full with water. And then you suspend a horizontal um, hydrophilic tube in the water, right? So you put it by little wires or something, horizontal tube. Now, as, I, as he shows, the nature of water is anytime there's a hydrophilic tube or, or surface interacting with water, it'll form this gel state uh, along the lining of the tube. And the gel state is always negatively charged, which means the positive charges go into the water part that's in the middle of the tube. So it's easier to see this, but imagine a tube. The lining of the inside of the tube is gel. That's negatively charged. And the protons, positive charges, go into the middle part of the tube which is still fluid water liquid water and because these charges are positive they repel each other and you see flow right so you can measure the flow and that's how water flows in trees for instance they have xylem tubes or hydrophilic tubes they create a gel the positive ions go in the middle and they repel each other and go up that's how blood flows in our capillaries Capillaries are tubes that forms a negative surface on the uh, exclusion zone or structured water gel on the lining. The positive ions go in the middle. They repel each other and start the blood moving. Now, you can do some very interesting experiments. You can put this, this, this beaker and watch it flow, and then you put it in a lead box, and it stops flowing. And you take it out of the lead box, and you shine the sun on it and it starts flowing. And then you put the beaker on the earth, so you get the electromagnetic field from the earth, and it starts flowing even harder. If you put the sun and the earth, put the beaker on the earth, and shine the sun on it, flows even harder. If you put your hand on it, because we have an electromagnetic field that emanates from us, particularly our hands, which now we understand where the laying on of hands comes from, then you see increased flow. And then you put your dog next to it. Depends a little bit on the dog maybe, but most dogs, it'll start flowing more. So now you know that in order, to, and the flow is a direct result of the ability of the water to be structured. In order to be structured, you need water, you need a hydrophilic surface, and you need an energy source. 
and the energy source could be the sun, it could be the earth, it could be human touch, it could be your dog, it could be a pleasant thought, and then you put your cell phone next to it, and the thing stops flowing. Mm-hmm. So if you put arsenic in it, it stops flowing. If you put glyphosate in it, it stops flowing. If you inject it with aluminum, I don't know how much aluminum you'd have to put in, but it stops flowing. So you can then understand, since the gel is the medium of life, it's the basis of your circulation, it's the basis of your nervous system, it's the basis of the electrical charge of your cell. If you cut off the electrical charge of your cell, you have a dead dysfunctional cell. If you want a dead dysfunctional cell, just put your cell phone in your pocket, put it on high all the time, and you'll figure it'll eventually happen. Well, so um, everything about our modern world, from the chemicals to living um, indoors, so we don't get sunlight, we are uh, wearing rubber soles, we're insulated from the uh, the electric electric magnetic field of the Earth, um, from you know just everything that is so toxic, is really what is altering the. Uh, structured water and its ability to flow and produce life and produce the energy for life. That basically, it, it's, it's, it's that environment yeah, it's that's a, been altered. Yes. It's, it, 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 the flow comes from the, ch- the separation of charges. And this mm-hmm. is not a theory. You can measure it. You know, I had a guy just last night sent me pictures of, of measuring the voltage of different waters. And, he, you know, you can measure the voltage. It's not like there's nothing mystical about this. You put, a, you put a probe in the gel, you measure the voltage. If you put, you know, if you shine sun or put, you know, far infrared saunas on the, the beaker of water, it increases the voltage. If you yeah. put your baby monitor, which is a wireless device, next to the, to the beaker, eventually the voltage goes to zero. If you want to make a sick baby, then yeah. put a put a, a baby monitor next to its head all the time. This is not. There's nothing sort of mystical or un unmeasurable about this. It's just we don't care. Right. Well, this this the the matrix, as I call it, that system of power and control doesn't care, but we. We care. yes, right. So I so do what, and you do. So so what? Okay. So what are your? This is not an easy ask because we don't have forever. You know, we only have uh, you know maybe ten more minutes to have this conversation. But what are your top strategies for people who are dealing with cancer? What do they need to know? Or any chronic illness, to be honest, I think it's all probably part of the same dynamic. Right. I mean, you know, if you look at, you say, okay, my knee hurts. You go to the doctor and he says, I mean, this is one of the things I must admit I have a, a, a over exuberant tendency to make fun of my medical training. But you go to the doctor, my doc, my knee hurts. He says, oh, you have arthritis. That means basically knee pain or, or you know, 
inflammation in your knee. So he just told you what you told him, except he knows you don't know Latin. And But what's the trouble? So there's no cushioning in your knee. What's the cushion? The cushion is a, a bursa, which is basically gelatinous water, structured water. So what happened to it? Well, I don't know. It just went away. You, you, not you, but that person has a water structure dysfunction. Mm-hmm. What about if your nose runs all the time? So you go to an allergist, so if you have allergic rhinitis, which means your nose runs all the time. Your nose runs all the time because your body is trying to detoxify because it's got stuff dissolved in its in its water, which is making it unable to create healthy voltage, healthy signaling, healthy structure, you know, organizing the DNA to make what it wants. So it keeps trying to flush it out by creating, liquefying it and making liquid gels, which is otherwise known as mucus. You see that this is what I'm trying to get at, even though I must admit it maybe sound arrogant to say this, but uh, this is a unified field theory of health and, and disease. Right. right. I, was, and, yeah, I was just going to say it's a unified field theory. Exactly. Right. And so, so it, you know, I mean, I learned sitting in my hut in Swaziland, you know, with a book, guy gives me traditional people didn't get cancer. Uh, why? Because they did all the things that you said. They lived in the, you know, in the sun, and they ate real food, and they connected to the earth, and they, you know, believed in a spiritual life, which you can show that spiritual living, you know, thinking and etc. and believing in the spirit. You know, most doctors believe in only substance, right? Only mechanics. That's because Descartes told them to which is always curious to me, somebody says, I only believe in material stuff, right? That's the basis of the medicine I learned. And I always think I'm going to ask them, so who is this I you're referring to? Like, which, is that your brain? You know, your brain had a secretion of some thought? Anyways, what's a thought? And how do you, how does a, a, a stuff think about why there's only stuff? I mean, the whole thing becomes ridiculous. But that's the theory of science these days. It's theory of medicine. And I don't know how we, what, so what, what should a person do? So, so you, you have to see the enormity of what we're dealing with. We have, and you know, if, if you permit me, but I, I, that's why I finished this book with the Sleeping Beauty story, which you could say, what in the hell is Sleeping Beauty or, Hansel and Gretel have to do with how to cure cancer or what causes cancer. But if you think of the story, so there was this kingdom, and the kingdom was great, and then they had a daughter, and the daughter was confronted by the witch. And in in fairy tales, witch stands for materialism, the thinking that only physical stuff matters. And the witch put some spell on the daughter who's the daughter the maternal side is oh is the watery side like the egg and put some uh spell on the on the on the princess so she's asleep and she's asleep to her own nature 
so she's asleep and because of that the kingdom falls into chaos and disrepair the crops don't grow life can't go on so that's where we're at we have been bewitched by materialism we think that's the only thing that that exists and so we've turned the living world into money or at least we try and we don't and then along comes the prince and I don't mean to be sexist about this, but he brings just love into this, into this story. And somehow love wakes her up. And it's interesting, wakes her up to see not the world differently, but to understand her true nature, which is a spiritual being. And then that restores the health of the kingdom. So we have a culture that has been bewitched by material baubles. So you can watch a video on your cell phone. Never mind that it gives you brain cancer. It destructures your water and has been linked to Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. I mean, who would make that choice? But we're, we're bewitched. And so we have to wake up. And not to a different way of seeing the world, because we already knew that way, but now we have to come to it essentially out of our own forces. And that's, then, that's where Steiner contributed to this, because he said there is an evolution of humanity, and we did have this consciousness that we have to respect nature and fit into nature and honor nature. And then for essentially good reasons i mean i don't know that i think they're good but anyways they were inevitable reasons we lost that and we ventured into the darkness of of materialism and i don't mean just money i mean the this awful way of seeing the world that only substance exists and now we have to we have to essentially gain it from our own forces like each one of us is now called to see the world as it is. And if you wake up, the kingdom can be restored. And if we don't, it won't. Well, you know, it just, um, it, it's, it's really the journey we're on, and there's so many um people and traditions that have been attempting to tell us this and you know on, on my program so many my other program which is the love code which is more spiritual is like i have these spiritual teachers are saying it's time to wake up we've come to the end of how we've been living the way it is it's time to return to who we really are and it's driving us all and even just this unified field theory of cancer is a is a wake-up call because we're understanding in a more profound way, how we have gotten so off the rails that have created such disease. I mean, it's cancer. I just did an interview with Dr. Bredesen about this epidemic of Alzheimer's, same underlying causes that you're talking about showing up with our brain and the, what's happening there. And I mean, we can just see it across the board, right? When you have the eyes to see, you see it. Right. brain is about 80% water. Yeah. And if you destructure it, then there's no nervous impulses. And if there's no nervous or less 
or scrambled, and then you can't remember your wife's name or husband's. Yeah. So, I mean, it's um, not complicated. There's nothing about this that's hard to understand. Uh, it's just we don't want to. We say, well, how can we live without this stuff? Well, it turns out most people did for most of humanity, and we either better figure it out or we're not going to be around much longer. And we need to understand, first of all, people need to really pick up a copy of your book, Cancer and the New Biology of Water. And that's my guest today, Dr. Thomas Cowan. They need to read it because you do have strategies, you do explain it, and it helps them to navigate. So, you know, you can heal in the environment that got you sick. It's such a powerful statement, right? So it's about understanding what has to change. It could be on many levels, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, that will shift our ability to structure water. Um, I also want to tell people before we have to conclude this really amazing conversation that if they want to know more about you, they can go to, first of all, the website which has your books, which is humanheartcosmicheart.com. If they want to know more, are you seeing patients now, Dr. Cowan? A little bit, a couple days a a week. So is it... Can I let people know if they want to know yeah. more about your practice? Okay. Yes, so to right. go to so the practice, the website for Dr. Callan's practice is fourfoldhealing.com. And if you want to know, we didn't even get to talk about your garden, which I would imagine is a is it biodynamic gardening that you're doing on your farm? Uh, I'd like to. I'm unfortunately not a savvy enough gardener to actually do it biodynamically, but that's only my own. <laughs> Incompetence, let's say. Okay, but but you you have an organic farm, okay? And and it's, it's and you a make it's it? a very organic, very large garden. Let's say that. Okay, all right, that you're really passionate about, and you have created some yeah. amazing powders that are nutrient dense, and that can be found at drcowansgarden.com. That's easy, drcowansgarden.com to learn more about what you are creating to enhance the nutritional status of our cells and therefore our structured water. So uh, this has just been so enlightening, Dr. Cowan. I am so very grateful for your time, for your courage to, uh, you know, swim against the, the current, so to speak, and speak the truth to help us all to wake up and remember our true spiritual nature, which is the key to healing. So thank you so much for all that you do and for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining me. Please come back every week. These are such important conversations that can change your life forever. Until next week, always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now.